house of God today. We want to welcome all of you. Those of you joining us online, thank you for being with us every week. And uh, we are in a series of messages. This is the caboose to the three-part. Uh, I've been talking to you about reaching America and how many you know we need to reach America. Um, and I've kind of subtitled this, How to Reach Secularized America, because we've become a very secular nation uh, from what we were intended to be by our founding fathers. Amen? They, they trusted God. They believed that we are one nation under God, indivisible, undivided. Amen? Uh, because Jesus said, whatever's divided will fall. But whatever is united can stand. And he is the mortar that keeps the brick together. And uh, I know that without Jesus, our nation is in trouble. But with Jesus, our nation is in good hands. So we've been looking over the past uh, two weeks at how much America has changed. I invite you today to turn to your Bibles, the book of Acts, chapter 17, and we're going to start in verse 16 here in just a minute. Uh, We've looked at statistics that I've shared with you that reveal what we already see to be true in our culture, and that is that America currently is becoming more and more secularized, while the church is becoming less and less effective in reaching this particular generation. Now, I shared with you that the population of America, the major group that is the most populous in the United States right now is the group known as the millennial generation. Those were born from around 1981 to around 1994. Uh, They surpassed the baby boomers in our nation. I shared with you the statistics of those who, especially as you get progressively younger, have left the church and have not returned. Uh, Those who are raised in the church as a child or as a teenager, they get into college, they no longer attend anymore. Um, And today, I just want you to know that when you look around at the church, you you find less and less people, regardless whether it's a large church or a smaller church, actually attending, uh, regardless of the facts or the, the reasons that they give, it is, a, it is a fact that church attendance has dwindled in America. And today what I want us to do is look at Acts chapter 17, because therein lies the situation that we find ourselves in in America. And... Uh, It's what this American culture has become. We're going to read verses 16 through 32. And when Peter, I've shared this with you in Acts 2, when when Peter preached to the Jews on that day of Pentecost, he was preaching to Jews who believed in one God. If you said God, they wouldn't ask which God. They would know the one God, evident in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They would know he was the God that created the world. They would know he was the God who gave the Ten Commandments. They would know that he was the God who loved them and required something from them. 
And so when they heard that message and Peter preached about Jesus being the Son of God, they believed upon the name of Jesus. They repented. And the Bible says 3,000 people came to the Lord one, in one day. One sermon. I have never seen that happen in my life in, in my ministry. I've seen it happen with evangelists. I've seen it happen in places, a lot of times overseas. But on that day, 3,000 people came to the Lord. And a lot of times today, we preach 3,000 messages and get one saved. But in Peter's day, he preached one message and 3,000 people got saved. I want to see those days return. Amen? In Acts chapter 17, we find now Paul, the apostle, in Athens, Greece, and he is trying to reach a culture, listen to this, that believed in many gods. Many gods. There were altars throughout the, the city. There were temples and many gods that they could see and many idols. And there were atheists and there were pantheists. And in verse 18, they say something to Paul. But I want you to just follow along with me. I'm going to read Acts 17. We're going to read verses 16 through 32, and then I'll begin to kind of dissect this for you. Are you with me today? All right, verse 16 of Acts 17, it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was being provoked within him as he was beholding the city full of idols. Notice that the idols provoked his spirit. He he was not comfortable with what he was seeing. So he was reasoning in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Gentiles and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be present. Also, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers were conversing with him, and some were saying, what would this idle babbler wish to say? Others, he seems to be a proclaimer of strange deities because he was preaching Jesus in the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is which you are proclaiming, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. We want to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians and the strangers visiting there used to spend their time in nothing other than telling or hearing something new. And Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus, and he said, Men of Athens, I observe that you are very religious in all respects. For while I was passing through and examining the objects of your worship, I also found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And what therefore you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands, as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all life and breath and all things. And he made from one every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation, that they should seek God, everybody say seek God, if perhaps they might grope for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we also are his offspring. Being then the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and thought of man. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent, because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. Everybody say Jesus. And now when they heard this, 
of the resurrection of the dead, some began to sneer, but others said, we shall hear you again concerning this. So here's what happens, and I'm going to take you through a few slides so you can follow along with me. Paul comes to Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, to this Greek culture, which was the intellectual center of the Greek culture and of the world in a sense. And as we read, there were altars and temples and many gods and idols, and there were atheists and there were pantheists. And in verse 18, this is what they said to Paul. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with them, and some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. Now, Epicureans, if you study them, were atheists. Anybody know an atheist today or someone who says they're an atheist? I want to just announce to you today and put this out there for you to understand, atheism is a religion, period. They have a blind faith belief, and here's why it's blind faith belief. They believe in something nobody was around in life to tell them about. Who was alive millions of years ago, billions of years ago? Who, who wrote that down and sent it out? It's a blind faith. So they have a blind faith. They believe everything happened over millions of years through natural processes. That is their faith. And remember, no one was back there those millions of years ago that is alive today, and no one ever wrote anything regarding their faith in atheism to pass it down to successive generations. Can I get an amen? The Stoics were pantheists. And what that is, they believe they're many gods because they basically believed that the universe was God. Anybody heard of Mother Nature? So what did Paul do? He preached the same message Peter preached in Acts 2. He was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And what happened? While he's preaching, they're saying, what is this idle babbler saying? It was foolishness to them. Say that again. It was foolishness to them. Now remember, the cross of Christ, when Peter was preaching, was a stumbling block to the Jews. He was just a stumbling block. But to the Greeks... To the Gentiles, it was foolishness. It was stupidity. So we have to ask ourselves, why the difference here? Paul is preaching to Greeks who believe in evolution. Even though that term was not coined then, they had many gods. Some of them believed in no god. And they believed that these gods evolved. They believed we evolved from the earth. Greeks who had no concept of a creator God, the Jews understood that creator God, but these Greeks did not. And you said, God, well, they didn't know who you were talking about. Well, which God? Which God are you talking about? And sin, if you mentioned sin, they didn't know the writings of Moses. They didn't believe in Adam and Eve. They didn't believe in the fall of man. The Jews did. But the Greeks didn't. They didn't understand the sacrificial system which started uh, in Genesis when God took an animal's life in order to cover up Adam and Eve's mistake and their nakedness with its skin. They did not understand the promise of a Messiah in chapter 3 and verse 15. They had a totally different foundation. So when Paul preaches to them the message of the resurrection 
It's foolishness to them. See, the Greeks had no understanding of this foundation, this knowledge that the Jews did. Therefore, it was foolishness to them. They, they, they're an evolution-based culture. They didn't understand the terms. Therefore, the preaching of Jesus and the resurrection was foolishness to them. So what let's do today is compare the Jews and the Greeks. The Jews believed in one God. They believed in sin. They believed that death was the result of sin. They stumbled, however, on Jesus as the Messiah. But the Greeks said, what God? What sin? Why death? Death has always been here, hasn't it? That's how they thought. There was an entry, there was, there, there was an entry point of death. Church, there was an entry point of death. It came on the day that Adam and Eve sinned. God said, in the day that you eat of that tree, you shall surely die. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You see, here's the problem. One of the hang-ups that the majority of our generation, those alive today, the millennials and Generation Z, those that are younger than them, have with Christianity is this. How can you believe in a loving God with all the death and suffering that's in the world? Has anybody ever been asked that question? How can you believe in a God of love when there's so much death and suffering and war and prejudice and on and on in the world? In fact, many of the atheists in America, when you learn more about them, almost without fail, grew up in Christian homes. But they're angry with God because something happened in their life. Someone died. Someone suffered a horrible disease and they were not healed. Or someone was abused and they're angry with God. But it was man's sin in Adam That brought death into the world. And it is God who sent his son, we just celebrated Christmas, about Jesus coming into this earth to die on the cross for our sin because we could not live the life that needed to be lived free from sin. So he did what Adam didn't do in the first place. He is the second Adam that did what Adam, the first one, couldn't do. You see, death is the penalty for sin. Sin messed everything up. Look at your neighbor and said it messed it up. It affected creation. Some of the problems we have, look at this, in the fossil record, we run across things like this. Do you see that? Recording that animals have eaten each other. Here's a fossil of a fish within a fish. And yet God said originally, well, I don't want to hurt any of you carnivores and you beef eaters. And I'm one of them. Originally, man was a vegetarian. Look at this next slide. God said he gave every plant yielding seed and every tree with fruit to be our food. He also said that to every beast and bird of the earth that has life, he gave every 
green plant for food. And it was so. Just thought I'd tell you that. You see that? There are actually examples of brain tumors found in fossils. There are also examples of cancer and arthritis that have affected the animal kingdom. But it wasn't that way in the beginning before sin entered the world. This is what the Bible says. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. That was the end of creation. God said everything, say this, was very good. It was very good when he made them. It was sin that brought all the death and all the disease to creation. Now, there are fossil thorns in the fossil records said to be hundreds of millions of years old. Yet, the Bible says that thorns came after the fall. Who are you going to believe? Thorns and thistles, the Bible says, it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Now, here's where I'm at, church. These two things can't be true at the same time. It can't evolve through millions of years and then happen after the fall, which means that the fossil record had to come after Adam sinned. Can I get an amen? Is there anything in the Bible that explains how you could get million Millions of dead things found fossilized over all the earth. Is there anything in the Bible? Yes. The flood of Noah's day. It's such an important event to understand because the fossil record is not the record of millions of years. It's the record of the flood. It's the graveyard of the flood. Warning us that God did judge the wickedness of man. But remember this, before the flood was sent... God used Noah to warn man back then, and the Bible called Noah, it didn't call him a builder of a boat, it called him a preacher of righteousness in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Write that one down and take a peek at that one later. But what did the people of Noah's day do? Much what people do today. They laughed at Noah. They thought he was a nut. They, they, Jesus said it would be just like the days of Noah before he came back. Folks, we're living in those days right now. Here's what I'm saying. Most of the people living in America today are becoming more like the Greeks and less like the Jews. In Billy Graham's day, America was more like the Jews who believed in God and morals and sin. Now, when you consider the difference between the Jews and the Greeks, it's the difference between a creation-based and evolution-based culture, one that understands the terms and one that doesn't. The Greeks are on a different road. Do you realize that we've sent our children to an education system where they put them on the Greek road? Just thought I'd tell you that. And church is a whole different road. 
I navigated that road. Didn't get the best grades in science because I wouldn't give them the answers they wanted in science. Just thought I'd tell you that, too. We're preaching to them in our churches and our homes as if they're on the other road. But church, they're not on that road. They have a whole different foundation. This generation, uh, that road that they are walking on doesn't lead up to the message of the cross. Do you see the Greek road? And so if you want the Greek or the secularized American to understand the message, you have to point them to the other road. And that's what Paul did. Now look at this next slide. This is a photo from the British Museum of all the Greek gods. Those aren't very powerful. Well, why do you say that, Pastor? <laughs> they can't even get out of the glass case. They're stuck there in the museum in Britain. So here's Paul in Athens, and he notices an altar to the unknown God. And he begins right there. He says, let me tell you who he is. What you serve in ignorance, I serve with full knowledge. I know that God's name. And it's not just he's another God. He is the God that trumps all gods. Now, notice again what Paul tells them in Acts 17, 24 through 25. Do we have that there? Okay. The God who made the world and everything in it. Everybody say God who made the world and everything in it. Being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by men, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Take a good deep breath in. You didn't do that on your own. In fact, there will be a day you will not do that ever again. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after this the judgment. And it, I don't care how many times mankind thinks they own their life, you don't. It doesn't matter if you think, I'm going to live forever, you don't know how long you have. You think, well, at least maybe I got 70 years. You don't know that. Anybody lost somebody before 70 years? Anybody lost somebody before one year? He tells them that God is the God who made the world and everything in it. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. This slide says he doesn't live in temples made by man. He isn't served by human hands. He doesn't need anything we can give him because he's the one who gave mankind life and breath to everything. Notice this next verse. He made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Stop right there. That should fix all the race issues going on today. He made from one man every nation of all mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling places. Can I let you guys in on something? Do you know that black cannot come from white? But white can come from black. So to all of those who think that white 
just like the Germans did, just like Hitler did, just like the Aryan race people think, that they're the top generation or they're the top culture? No. Can I let you in on a secret? Jesus was a Jew. Still is. The pigment of a white person cannot have come from anything other than a darker person. I'll just let that ruminate for a little while. I am so fed up, if I can get on a soapbox for just a minute, about race. Race. We have one race, church. It's called the human race. Anybody here a human? How about we act like that, amen? Man, it's not that hard. In fact, God makes it pretty simple so a little kid can understand it. In fact, a little child has to be taught race in the way it's being taught today. All right, I'm off of that. Craig, help me. What slide am I on? All right. So the biblical view of race is that we're all part of the human race. Everybody say one race. We all go back to actually Noah and his sons. They go back all the way to then Adam and Eve. Now, we're different people groups, and we have different languages. How many like Mexican food? I like Mexican food. How many like American food? Love American food. How many like Chinese food? Love Chinese food. How many like Italian food? I'm glad for the cultures. Anybody getting hungry today? Who wants all those foods? The Bible talks about... The Bible talks about this too. We were, there are different people groups and have different languages, but in chapter 11 of the book of Genesis, at one time the world had one language and probably wasn't English, just may as well blow that out of the water too for you. But at the Tower of Babel, languages were confused again because of the wickedness of man. And out of that, people were scattered, the Bible says, over all of the earth and spoke different languages. So in a sense, what Paul was doing was sharing the seven C's of history. Here are the seven C's. Are you ready? If you're writing anything down. Creation, C number one. Then, after creation, there was corruption. And corruption got to such a point that there was catastrophe. That was the flood. And after the flood, mankind got weird again, and there became, God said, I'm going to have to confuse them. And mankind lived in confusion and chaos until Christ came. And Christ preached his message until it came time to get on the cross. And then after the cross, there came the consummation. And listen, church, that right there is the correct history. Not the history of millions of years on our own coming from monkeys with no designer. So Paul adjusted his approach when he preached to these Greeks who didn't have the foundation that the Jews had. But I want you to see this. After he did that, he got back to preaching the message of the gospel. And here's what he said. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 through 31. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now, everybody say today, he commands all people everywhere to what? Repent. What does that mean? That means if you repent and you're walking like this and it is sin, 
and you get convicted of that through the message of the word, that means you repent and say, I am no longer going to walk that way. I'm not going to talk that way. I'm not going to think that way. I'm not going to live that way. I'm not going to act that way. I'm going to walk this way. And this is God's way. That way was the devil's way. That way is the way of every man born into sin, every woman born into sin. And it takes the message of the gospel when it is preached to be heard, to believe, and then received and acted upon. Church, I just want you to let you know, there's a lot of people that hear the word of God and believe the word of God, but they don't receive the word of God. Demons are one. The Bible says the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they tremble because they know one day what's going to happen to them, but they don't repent. And there are people like that all over America today. Sitting around bars right now, popping tops and sucking suds and just getting drunk. Trying to fix their problems. I'm losing where I'm at here. I get, I'm just off in my anointing here. Yeah, he commands all people everywhere to repent. Now here, boy, we need to listen to this. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man. So that's Jesus, whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. You see, he preached the gospel, but he had to adjust his starting point. He, he had to get them to understand the beginning so they could accept where they currently were and receive the message of the gospel. And that's where we are in America today. In order to reach America, we can no longer assume that the people we are speaking to understand what in the world we're saying. When Paul did that, what happened? Let's read. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. You're going to get that. Mockers are going to come mocking in these last days. How many people today mock the message? But others said, we will hear you again about this. We'll talk again about that. So Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him who were Greeks, and they believed. And among them also were Dionysius, the Areopagite, a guy who was right there in that Areopagus of Mars Hill, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. So on that day, Paul at least gets two people, but there were others. Now, I want to just say this. Dionysius, the Areopagite, was a judge at the court Areopagus in Athens. If you want to read a little bit about him, he was a prominent person in the city. Damaris was a woman who heard the message and believed. But notice this. You see here three different responses that we basically still see today whenever the gospel message is preached. There were mockers. There were hesitators. And there were believers. The mockers mocked. There were others who, though it was interesting, they hesitated in responding and giving all, giving all to Jesus. But then there were others who believed and received the word spoken to them. Please be like the end. Believe and receive. Here's what Paul did. He took people with the wrong foundation and a wrong worldview, and he gave them the right foundation and the right worldview. And the worldview of America in the past was very much like the Jews. But what's happening right now is this. Follow me as I show you these slides in succession. What is happening in America right now is this. 
You have a segment of our society that have a Christian worldview like the Jews Peter preached to. And you have a large segment that's growing larger who have a non-Christian worldview like the uh, Greeks that Paul preached to. And what's happening in America right now is that there is a separation that's been going on for at least more than a decade now, and there is a chasm there. And that separation is growing wider and wider, and what we're seeing today is a greater secularization on the culture side and a greater compromise, dear God help us, on the church's side. And as that separation grows, uh, the chasm between the two is getting bigger and bigger. The secular worldview is becoming more and more brazen and bold in its attack on the Christian worldview. And the chasm between those two groups is widening. It's like the separation of the Jews and the Greeks. The older generation is more Christianized in America. The younger generation is more secularized like the Greeks in America. The older generation's more like the Jews. The younger generation's more like the Greeks. And our whole Western world has become very Greek in its thinking. Now, if what you're hearing today, being spouted by the world today, sounds like Greek to you, it's because it is. Because we've sent generations of our children to the Greek education system of our culture. They watch secularized media. They watch secularized entertainment. They are mostly walking the Greek road. Is anybody catching what I'm saying? Our children are increasingly being indoctrinated with a very secular education where God, He can't even be talked about. I want, I want just a show of hands. How many of you sitting in this room today, when you attended school, said the Pledge of Allegiance? Nearly everybody in the room. We homeschooled our children, so they did. You can't say the Pledge of Allegiance in schools today. You can't pray to God today in schools. It's been taken out. And Our children are increasingly being indoctrinated with a very secular education. So let's look at these last few slides. It's like turning Jews into Greeks. And I'm using those terms very broadly here. Jews are referring to those with a Christian worldview in America who believe in one God as creator. They believe in the fall of man in sin and death. Greeks are referring to those who don't really believe in one God. They do not believe in sin, or they don't call the lifestyles and the actions that they're living in sin, like God does. Listen to me. 90 to 
of the children who are sent to the public schools do so often as Bible-believing. Used to be. But after 12 years, have turned out to basically be Greeks. They've been evolutionized. When not in school, they watch Greek television, Greek internet, read Greek books, magazines, and we got to be aware of this and start teaching apologetics to our children, which basically means know what you believe, why you believe, and how to defend what you believe. So that they have a foundation that they not only believe what God says, but they can also give a reason for why they believe that. You see, so this is a call to the American church today to rise up and preach the gospel to this generation with the understanding we're not dealing with the same generation that America used to have. We're dealing with a very secular, influenced generation, and the church must maintain a Christian worldview. Can I get an amen? And stand up for God's word because increasingly what is happening in America is that the church has its foot in both worlds. The church is called to not only preach the gospel, but also to make disciples of Christ. And I take that, I take that very, very, very seriously. My job is not to build a huge church. My job is to make disciples. A loyal, learning follower of Jesus. To live a life that is free from the power of sin. Where you can see sin and it doesn't even phase you. You're not tempted by it at all. But here's what, here's what we're called to do. Turn Greeks into Jews, and by that I mean Christians, followers of Christ. They come in evolutionized, but they leave believing God's word is true. And in order to do that, we need to understand our culture and point them back to the beginning. We have to reach them like they're Greeks on the Greek road. We have to point them back to the beginning. So we ourselves must be convinced of the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and formless, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. The Holy Spirit was brooding over that. And God stepped out, and he said, let there be light, and light was. The evening and the morning was the first day. And just in case you wonder, the sun and moon don't come until later. Ruminate on that. How is there light, Lord, if there's no sun and moon? Because He's light. What slide am I on, brother? 49. So we have to reach them like they're Greeks on the Greek road, point them back to the beginning. That's what I said. We ourselves have to be convinced of the beginning. We need to understand what God says about creation and sin and death and his love for mankind. How many of you restarted reading the Bible this year? How many of you started in Genesis? Many of you did. You read these words. It's good to begin at the beginning at the beginning of the year. Amen. So, in effect, we have to go out and de-Greekize. 
Now, your spell check will go crazy on that word because it's not really a word. But in reality, it is. Amen? And we can, we can do this because of the power that is in the gospel to set people free. Church, set them free from sin. See, that's what true freedom is. We here in America think, well, I'm free to do what I want to do. I can, I can do this. I can think that. I can say that. I can act like this. I can do that. I can experience this. I can live that way. Yeah, you're free to do that, but you're, you're really not free. You're bound in sin, and the real freedom is to be free to be free from sin. You see, set free from sin, set free from hate. Can I get an amen? Set free from doubt. Amen. Set free from the lies of the enemy. Set free. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Whew. That's good stuff. Amen, Pastor. I, I just got built up today on the Holy Word of God. I didn't do this. God did this. It's just hearing what God has to say and drowning out all the other trash that the world has thrown at you. When you hear the race issue, bring it up and say, hey, 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 let me talk about the race. Let's talk about race. We're part of the human race. Amen? You're my brother. You're my sister. Take me by the hand. Amen? You remember that, you remember that Coca-Cola commercial? As, as crazy as this sounds, I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. Coke got that right. That's what we need to do. But you can't do it just by drinking a Coke. <laughs> you got to know the one who made the ingredients to make a Coke. Amen? I love the story about the guy who says, yeah, I can create. I can create just like God can create. The scientist says, oh, really? Comes to God and he says, yeah. He said, well, you made man out of dirt. I can create and I can make something out of dirt. And God said, okay, let me see you. And so... He grabs some dirt out of the earth, and God goes, no, 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 no. Use your own dirt. First, you've got to create your own dirt. I created you from the dirt, but first I created the dirt. How many got something out of this series? So, don't hate the world. Don't, don't hate millennials. Don't, man, don't attack the kids, the young. I mean, they're not kids anymore. They're adults. They're running the, they're running the country. They need you. Silent generation, don't be silent. Baby boomer generation, don't be angry. Millennial generation, don't be deaf. Z generation, don't be deaf. 
Because God will set you free. I'm going to let you go. I'm done. But God's not done. I pray that you meet people all this week that need to know the Jesus. And church, listen, if we could just, one, each one, reach one, we'll be double than what we are here today. Peter preached a message, 3,000 people got saved. Paul preached a message and won some pretty important people in the town. So I'm just, I'm just here to say that we can, we can do what God's called us to do, and we got the power to do it in His Word. Amen. God bless you today. Go your way. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Love you guys. God bless.